Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. God, everyone's here. Thanks for everyone who's participated and wearing something that they don't normally wear today. Good job. I have to point out David and Bathsheba down here. Make sure you see them. We've got Javert from Les Mis. Make sure you greet him. Um, I don't even know the cartoon that Garrett is, but I'm... (laughs) So make sure you meet everyone today. But now some of you... May may found it weird to dress up to go to church today. I get it. That, I get it. So, but some of you also shared some photos with me so that I could show some Halloween's past. So we're going to take a little walk because, so costumes, they're always communicating something, okay? Now, sometimes with a costume, our first slide is about sometimes we wear a costume because we want to hide something. So this is circa my child being two years old back in the day. But what I want us to focus on is Steve here. He's wearing all Kentucky, Kentucky outfit. Now, we were in Lexington at the time, surrounded by real Kentucky fans, and he said it was a costume. Now, this is what my theory is, is that he is trying to hide his true fandom and made it a costume. Okay. So that's somebody trying to hide something. Now, other costumes, they reveal things, right? So their next one is our next three slides are revealing how much we love our kids because Solomon picked out his family costume every year. And we've got the Cox family, and it reveals the love that these kids have for being in plays, being in the Nutcracker, Disney, of course. Then we've got the Schertz's family and the love that Elizabeth puts into their daily clothes, much less their Halloween costumes. These kids are always dressed to the T. Let me see who else we have. They, our costumes can reveal how much our pets look like us. We've got Cindy and Charlie Brown and Kaya, all the beautiful unicorns. And our next slide is Susan with her dog, Charlie, Star Wars from a few years ago. Next, we have costumes revealing our creativity. Here is the Dairy Queen and the Burger King, Jill and Kevin. And then, of course, I'm always loving the G family because they like to do just all kinds of interesting plays on words. And so here, Alicia says she was sad we didn't get the full aspect, but they were the Human Genome Project. They're the Gs dressed like gnomes. Don't you love it? Then we've got Hillary and Joe, and I, guys, I really had to learn about this. Thank you for teaching me about the meme, Joe, because I had, Steve had to help me find that one. Um, we've got Katie Ubelhor, who, she even get her food dressed up. She goes, I don't have costumes, but I like to decorate Halloween food. And finally, costumes can reveal the characters we like. I have to say this was my favorite photo sent in this week because this is like my favorite scene from Star Wars Force Awakens. Good job, Cam and Jack. So impressed by this. I loved it. Now, my current costume shows who I like. I'll have to show you the picture reference is Marvel Agent Carter. Didn't bring my own gun, sorry, but I did have the dress, so 
had to do it. I like empowered women. These are the costumes. You saw I was wearing Rosie the Riveter earlier. Yes, these are the women I embody. And finally, costumes can reveal a secret message. In 2016, my favorite baby reveal, Garrett the Baker and Kendra with the bun in the oven. I loved it. She showed up and we were all like, oh, there is news. And Annabelle was born. So there we go. That's our costumes today. And today we're going to read a sermon from Jesus that talks about how people appear differently than what's on the inside. What are their costumes? What are their true selves? We're going to be in Luke chapter 6 today if you want to make your way there. We've been in our series called Journey of the Redeemed, and we are looking at the early days of Jesus' ministry right now. He has been healing. He's been debating the religious leaders, and he has been revealing the true nature of God with every intentional choice he makes. Last week, we saw Jesus calling out the religious leaders because their actions. And he said, don't focus so much on the how, focus on the why of your worship. And now this week, his sermon is going to have everybody listening, looking inward. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 6. I'm going to read verse 12 and then jump down to verse 17 for us today. Because we read verse 12 a few weeks ago when Jesus chose not only his disciples, but called 12 specific disciples to be a greater leadership, the apostles. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. So I want us to read that to notice that he's on a mountain here and he has spent considerable time in the presence of the Father. Then, verse 17, he went down with them, his 12 close crew here, and he stood on a level place, still on the mountain, but on like a a place he can stand, not fall off the mountain. A large crowd of his disciples was there, a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and All the people tried to touch him because power was coming out of him and healing them all. So let's talk about this setting. So he's on this mountain, and you might have heard of the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we get this. He's preaching a sermon. It's on a mountain. The name says it all. Now, you might have seen this in Matthew because you see it in one fell swoop and two full chapters where this is a big sermon. Luke breaks it up by different topics. So we're going to see different parts of his teachings in, a later, in later chapters. Now, Jesus has been on a mountain praying, and he's headed down. And it says that, you know, God's, God's glory must be with him because he's got this power where even people just touching him were healed. Like there was something going on here. And people who were reading the book of Luke might recall there was another person in Jewish ancestry who spent time on a mountain with God and came back radiating his glory. That was Moses. And in Exodus chapter 34, it says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law, aka the Ten Commandments, in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. So Moses is glowing. That's his costume of being in front of the Lord Almighty. He's glowing. And here Jesus spent time with the Father, and he comes away with just this power emanating from him. 
Now I'm going to read the remainder of our verses today because I would love for you, if you have it in front of you, to just look at these verses all together. They are poetry, and our slides can't do it justice. So if you can, look. And I want us just to read it in one fell swoop, and then we will go back and break down these blessings and woes. Verse 20, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. And woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Okay, so these blessings And these woes, you can see that they're written in a poetic form. And note that the structure is like an A-B-B-A structure. So we've got the slide here that shows us that first this first blessing was present tense. Then you see future, future, present again. Does the same thing in woes. You can see that poetry, the poetic structure there. And you could almost, you could hear that, right? Like, can you imagine like Jesus doing some, some spoken word here? He's doing this repetition. Can you hear it? Now note, in the audience, we said he's got his 12 close guys. And then it said also that there was disciples and other people. So in the audience, we have people who've decided clearly they want to follow Jesus. They believe in this guy. They know what he's teaching. They like it. And then we've got some undecided people in the crowd. So there's a mix of people here. Maybe some religious leaders are peeking in, watching in on him. They keep following him around and doing that. We don't know for sure, but we're going to guess that. And so here in the sermon, Jesus is not pointing out like disciples, you are this and those people who don't believe you are that. He's just, he's putting blessings and woes out there. And the people are going to have to consider what category they're in. As Professor Richard B. Vinson noted, perhaps the strategy is to leave no one with a completely easy conscience. We all have to consider where we are. Now, while these blessings and woes were in specific chunks here. I want us to break it down in pairs. Let's look at the blessing compared with the woe that is parallel to it. So first we have poor and rich. The poor is going to, yours is the kingdom. The rich, you've already received comfort. Now in the original language, the word you is delayed in the second line of the blessing. It's like blessed are the poor, the poor in general. And then specifically for you will be comforted. So they would say, like, readers who would first be reading this scroll would kind of have to be like, oh, okay, where am I? Am I the you he's talking to? I don't know. I have to figure out where I fit in. Well, in the corresponding woe, it's like, but woe to you who are rich. It's kind of like, you know who you are. Jesus is saying it. Now, we spent nine weeks last year on all the Beatitudes as was written in the book of Matthew. And now here in Luke, we see that there's a few less listed in the blessing category, and he shares these woes too. So different um, things that they were focusing on from Jesus' sermon. And a second difference from Luke to Matthew, maybe you've heard blessed are the poor in spirit, but Luke just 
just focuses in on the poor. And it's not like he's not saying that Jesus doesn't care about those who are internally poor, poor in spirit. But we'll notice in the book of Luke that he definitely tries to show and emphasize that Jesus cares about the external and the internal, that Jesus cares about those who have less than. Now, with this woe, the rich, this is going to, again, imply the internal heart of the one who has wealth. It's not just that you have money, but what are you doing with it? Do you love it? Do you cling to it? Do you own that as your personality? Or are you sharing when you hear of a need? We saw that Jesus called Levi, who was a tax collector, who clearly got his money from deceiving people. And yet he was willing to say, okay, I'm ready to to give that money away. I'm ready to share that and change the way I focus on the riches in my life. So Jesus is saying, if if you haven't shared your riches now, then all the comfort you have here on earth, you've already been rewarded. Let's look at what's next. Hungry versus full. Note that in this pair, the lines are, you're hungry now, you're full now, but you will be. What's in the future is swapped, is the opposite here. Now, the question here is like, okay, is this just about eating food? Well, if you've been with us so far, and if you heard last week, Jesus likes to eat. And he even told the religious leaders last week that he wasn't going to fast right now because this was a time of celebration and people were rejoicing and new life in him. And he was eating at people's tables. And when the disciples were walking along, they were picking heads of grain and having snacks in the field, right? That was all about last week. So obviously the food itself is not the problem. Instead, it's about, again, that how. How are you full now? Are you so full you have plenty at your table, but you don't invite others? Do you look past the people who are hungry in your life? I mean, in this culture, people could walk out their door and clearly see very clearly, people in their neighborhood, in their communities, who were very hungry. And if you were doing nothing to help their hunger while you sit satisfied, that is the woe in this case. But some biblical scholars also note that this idea of hunger wasn't just physical food. What if you're looking at it this way? Are you hungry still? For the word of the Lord. Are you hungry still to grow in God and to continue to follow after his truth and to learn and to become changed? Or are you so satisfied? Do you feel like you know it all? You got it. I'm fine. Sit back. And who did that? We kept seeing that the religious leaders felt like they seemed pretty full, didn't they? They're like, we got this. We know what we need to know. And Jesus is like, you need to still be hungry. And if you're not, if you don't feel like you have anywhere left to grow, then you're going to be hungry for truth soon enough. The next section we have, weeping and laughter. Now, as we know, you can weep and you can laugh for various reasons. You can weep for joy or you can weep of great pain. You can laugh because life is full and great and amazing. Or you can laugh in a very mocking, scorning way where you're dismissing people made in the image of God. And so we can fathom, we can imagine very clearly which weeping and laughter is in each of these pairs. We grasp that people who weep in despair now, God is saying, it's not going to always be this way. God is promising a rescue, and we don't know how long, and maybe, maybe it won't be right in the timing that we hope for. But God says, I will redeem you. 
I'll bring laughter back into your lives. And in turn, we imagine that if your laughter is sinister and sneering and mocking, and we can look at people in our lives and we can see that. And we just think, why is no one keeping them accountable? I mean, God's saying, I see. He says, I see. People aren't getting away with anything. It's like a time will come when your laughter will turn to weeping and mourning because you used your laughter in a way that harmed other people. God keeps account. And Jesus is letting people know. He's just putting the word out there. And next we have the final pair. We've got people hated, excluded, insulted, rejected. And then we have people where everyone speaks well of them. Now what's interesting here is that the hated, excluded, insulted, rejection section, that is because they were living out the love of the Lord. They were following, it says, the Son of Man, which is Jesus. So basically, this isn't just being hated and rejected in general, but saying because you actually have aligned yourself with Jesus, that's why people are rejecting you. And Jesus is like, just hold tight because you're in a good category of people. God, throughout the years, throughout the history, you can look through the Old Testament and you see prophets, men and women who spoke out. God gave them a a message, a very specific message, and they had to call people to account. And God said, they rejected them, so you're in good company. The people that God chooses are not always accepted by the world. In fact, the people who say all the things that sound nice, right, why you might like to what their tickling ears want to hear, right? When they're saying things that sound really good, but they could be false prophets. And Jesus is like, that's the people that your ancestors lifted up and clung to were all those that were speaking the wrong words. And even, I can imagine right there in the audience that there were probably some people who insulted and rejected Jesus' cousin John, John the Baptist. He was currently in jail as Jesus was speaking because he had spoken words of the Lord. He was God's prophet in this current time, and he had been rejected because he spoke the truth. So looking at these lists, looking at the blessings and the woes, I've got to admit sometimes I don't know where I stand. Because, you know, when I read the woes at first, of course, I'm like, oh, I can think of some people. I can think of specific people. Of course, there are other people. They're not me. But actually, when I think about it, I've laughed before. I've laughed because I thought I was in the right and someone else was in the wrong. I've laughed, and that puts me right in the woes because I put on a costume of superiority. I might not think of myself as the richest person in the world. I can show you people who have more than me, but I have extra And any time we have extra, we're rich. You might have extra money. You might have extra food. You might have extra time and patience and care. And if we're not in the habit of sharing what we have extra of, then we're right there in this list of woes. We've put on a costume of luxury and comfort instead of sharing with others. So we can all put on costumes that show off, And be counted among the woes. But guess what? We all have the chance to be in the blessed category too. Here's the problem. At times I have a problem seeing myself in the blessed category. And you know why? I think it's because I don't want to admit it. 
it's hard to admit that I'm poor, whether that's materially or spiritually. It's hard to admit that I'm hungry. If not perhaps physically, then perhaps hungry somewhere internally. It's hard to reveal sometimes that when I'm weeping and I don't want people to know about it. Sometimes I don't want others to see that I've been rejected. Do you feel that hesitancy sometimes to reveal the fact that you might be in this list? Maybe at your work, maybe you put on a job. At your job, you put on a uniform or you have to dress a certain way. And sometimes you feel like you're putting on a costume like, I'm a responsible adult. Nobody knows how fake this is. Maybe you go to a wedding and you're like, oh, I've got to dress up just to like get into the celebration. And it feels false sometimes. But other times, maybe you disguise yourself in other ways. Maybe you put on a straight face. She don't want anybody to know how much their words actually hurt you. Maybe your costume is when you say, I'm fine. Because you don't want to admit how anxious you are inside. We put on costumes. Sometimes we go along with what other people are doing because we don't want to admit we actually like this Jesus guy. We put on costumes all the time. And sometimes I feel like right here, I feel like Jesus' words of blessing right here in Scripture, he gave permission to people back then. And I think he gives us permission still today that we can take off any costume we have that's full of shame. Or that's trying to hide. And I think Jesus is trying to say because the sin, the brokenness, or whatever status that people are labeling you, that you've held on to, that you're hiding from, it's not permanent and it's not how I see you. Jesus says, I see your true identity. And if we can't reveal the current condition of being poor or hungry, then we can't also get the help and the hope that we need. Sometimes we have to be willing to let go of the costume of self-sufficiency. Being self-sufficient is not God's value. I'll say that again. Being self-sufficient, that's not God's value. Other people have that value. But when Jesus says here, whoa, watch out when you're rich and well-fed and people speak well of you, that sounds pretty self-sufficient. When he says that, you're cutting off relationships. You're cutting off the opportunity for other people to be in your life, for Jesus to come along and be present in your life. God's values are revealed in these blessings that Jesus said. When Jesus said that, you will be satisfied. When Jesus says that yours is the kingdom, that's not anything that we can do for ourselves. That's not self-sufficient. We have to go to a God greater than us to receive those blessings. And that's what God wants. He wants to give us full bellies and belly laughs. God wants to provide. But he won't force his way in. We've got to be the one to, to reveal that we're ready for him, that we're ready to be in a relationship with him. We have to take off the costume that says I'm self-sufficient and we have to be ready to put on something that reveals our true identity. We're no longer going to put on a costume that hides. We're going to put on a costume that reveals. And if God says yours is the kingdom of God, 
Think about some cool cosplay in heaven. We're going to be children of the king. Think about what we will wear. So on this journey, how do we live as redeemed people of Jesus? Drop the costume that hides who you are. Drop what you're trying to put on that impresses others. Drop what you've got that covers your shame. Ditch anything that hides your love for Jesus. And instead, reveal your true identity. Reveal who you are. Reveal who you're connected to. For those of you here in the service today, I have brought for each of us a piece of a new costume. I've got us all some crowns. And I'm going to leave them um, on the back doors. And I want you to take one with you. Maybe you don't wear it. Maybe you put it on your dog. Maybe you put it on your child. But when you see it this week, I want you to remember your true identity. Ours is the kingdom. We've been given a kingdom if we're willing to connect our lives to Jesus. And you know, the way that Jesus has communicated that he has saved this identity for us, we remember that every week when we take communion. We eat bread and we drink juice and we try to remember that this Jesus who came to earth came with a purpose. And the way he brings us new identity was that he made a sacrifice for us. He died and he rose again to say, I want everyone to be in the kingdom with me. So Jesus purchased this new identity. He purchased this costume we get to wear when he died on the cross. And he wore his own crown for us. We're going to have a time of communion now. And when you feel ready, I'm going to pray and then you can just come down. We'll have people serving the bread and the juice down here. Just come down when you feel ready. If you could wear your mask when you travel this way and back to your seat. We have trays in the back. We can put your glass cups there at the end of the service. But just take some time and think about the identity that Jesus gives to us. Will you pray with me? Thank you, God. Thank you for giving us an identity that that reveals who we truly are. That we get to put on a costume that doesn't hide away, but that we can, we can come to you and say we're broken. We can come to you and say we can't do it on our own and we shouldn't, we shouldn't have to. We shouldn't want to. Thank you for allowing us to admit that we need you and that you want us to need you. Thank you for giving us a kingdom promised. Thank you for loving us enough to come to earth and to teach, to put up with being insulted, to to just live as a human. Thank you for dying and being raised again for us. We thank you for our identity in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.